0: Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey.
1: Thank you, Gary. Welcome, everybody, to a very special double episode of Talk for Two. As many of you know by now, I am somewhat of a sci-fi fan. Okay, a huge one. But when people ask me, Star Trek or Star Wars, I say neither. Gate. Stargate is one of the most story- and character-rich franchises in the history of science fiction. The world-building is second to none, and the characters are ingenious and their chemistry undeniable. It all started with the Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich-produced movie entitled Stargate. After the success of the film, the first television show, Stargate SG-1, was created by Brad Wright and Jonathan Glasner. The popularity of that show proved enormous, and MGM asked for a spin off. That show was called Stargate Atlantis and ran simultaneously with the original series until SG 1 signed off in 2007. Atlantis ran for two more seasons, ending in 2009. Both shows follow a team of Air Force members and civilian scientists as they explore strange new worlds through the titular. Stargate, a portal created by a technologically advanced race of mysterious ancient humans. Our first guest today, Tori Higginson, played lead scientist on the Atlantis expedition, Dr. Elizabeth Weir. Higginson's performance added a sincerity and vulnerability that balanced out the cast, which included Joe Flanagan as Colonel John Shepard, David Hewlett as socially inept Rodney McKay, and even a young Jason Momoa as the aggressive warrior Ronan, an early role that foreshadowed his mega-stardom as an action hero. In this chat, Higginson opens up about her life in science fiction, from the Tech War TV movies with William Shatner to the endearing and enduring Stargate fandom. Higginson is grateful for what the genre has brought her. But she is an actor first and foremost and never set out to become a sci-fi star. We talk about some of her early non-sci-fi roles. Tori currently stars as head nurse Claire Malone on CTV's Transplant. Season one of the Canadian medical drama is expected to premiere in the U.S. on NBC this fall. It's already aired in Canada. Here now, with insight into the life of an actor, our interview with Tori Higginson. Tori Higginson, welcome to the show. How are you today?
2: Oh my gosh, thank you for being here. I'm very well. Thank you. I'm well, thank you. to have something to put in my calendar.
1: Oh, well, thank you for being <laughs> it's here. Great. Time. Oh, yes. What have you been doing uh, to keep occupied during all of this craziness?
2: Well, well, I'm pretty lucky. I'm a little bit of an introvert, a bit of a social misfit as, as you know, naturally. So I sort of been speaking to a few of my friends and we all sort of feel like we've been training for this our whole life like our our superpowers are (laughs) being able to be okay on your own and and um self-inspire and i mean i'm feeling very grateful i i i'm used to a kind of job that has me in off time a lot so i'm used to being unemployed i'm used to having to find a way to Keep myself inspired and creative, even when I'm not working. Mm So I'm feeling deeply, you know, privileged that I'm able to just feel grateful right now and to enjoy this time. I'm I'm reading a lot. I'm cooking a lot. I'm gardening a lot. I'm walking my dog and yeah, daydreaming a lot too. Dancing a lot by myself too. That's necessary. That's good.
1: (laughs) How about yourself? Well, I'm staying in too, doing a lot of interviews because people are around. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So you are actually the first guest I've ever had from one of my favorite sci-fi shows. My boyfriend introduced it to me, of course, Stargate, the Stargate franchise, Uh, Stargate Atlantis. I want to know, first, we will go back to your career beginnings, but uh, to start this off, how did you come to the Stargate franchise? um, I was very lucky. I had just
2: moved down to the States from Canada. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, it was another strange time, actually. It was a time very similar to this. I moved down the States a day before 9-11 happened. So it was a very strange time to be in America. And everything just stopped. The industry stopped. Everything was in this weird six-month sort of hold of, you know, what does it feel like to be not a superpower? Um, And during that time, I mean, I couldn't get an agent down here because everyone was like, no, there's no work. Everyone's scared. We're all frightened of terrorist attacks. Nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a call then after about six seven months here of a from my agent in canada saying will you there's an audition for this show and i'd heard of stargate but i'd not watched it
3: Mm -hmm.
2: um so i went in and did the audition and within two weeks i was driving my car up to vancouver and um cramming watching every single episode of sg one that i could (laughs) cram in before day one of shooting (laughs) oh
1: my gosh well, as it would have it, of course, two years before S G one even premiered, you were in a jungle ground with actors who would go on to do Stargate. So is it did it feel kinda of like Kismet like it was meant to be when you got it?
3: Uh
2: the very sweet book. it's like is a pretty small um, we're a pretty small pool of, of, of talent and actors. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of feel we all work on a lot of things together. So it's, it's lovely that. It's always lovely when you get a job. Um, and you know people, and you've got some experiences with, um, yeah, just with, with each other. What I also love is, like, there's a few people that I didn't even work with on SG-1, but I, I knew were on the show, SGA, and they were also in, you know, other shows. And then we didn't actually, we never met on set until years later at a convention or something. And go, oh, my gosh, we've been on eight shows together, and have never met each other. I find that very lovely as well.
1: It's a small world of just a bit. Were you now? Let's go back to your career beginnings. I know it didn't start out. You didn't start out in sci-fi. Is that correct? You had uh, you kind of yeah, came to you. Actually, go ahead. Well, kind of weird. No, I mean my first real, my first really big job. I went and I studied in England.
2: I studied to do theater. I was very snobby about television. I didn't have a television. I didn't want a television. <laughs> I believe in theater and film. Um, and you know, very starry-eyed, youthful. Um, ignorance. But <laughs> I was experiencing Um and then I was offered this job with um Tech War with William Shatner. Yes. So my very first gig was actually a sci fi kind of gig. And I think I'd only done about three or four small little gigs before I got that. Mm-hmm. And I look back at that, my tech work experience. I had a few regrets, but that's a lot, I really thought to not be a part of that series because in my brain I thought no 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 I don't want to do television series I want to be free and I want to do you know so I I was like I don't want to be tied down Mm and what if I just I wasn't recognizing it for what it was the opportunity that it was and um, yeah now I look back it was great fun that time
1: what was it like to I always hate to ask the what was it like to work with question but when it comes to Bill Shatner he's such an enigma. You have to ask the question, what was it like? Mm-hmm. What was his involvement with Tech Wars? I know it was a book. He was involved, and he, there was a ghostwriter. But what was his involvement with the, the TV show? And what well, was it was, like?
3: We,
2: we were on set every day. He was an actor yeah. in it. He was acting in it. He mm-hmm. was producing it. He yeah. had um, co-written it. So we were on set every day together. He was delightful to me. I mean, I was very, you know, I was very starstruck. I was very aware, even though I didn't grow up in the big sci fi world. I mean, mm-hmm. I fell in love with sci fi because of Stargate, but I wasn't an active fan at the time. And, um, but I still had such, you know, obviously such respect and awe of him because of his reputation. Um, and I have to say to me, I mean, it was my first experience with fandom, too. I remember going out to dinner. And I remember watching this poor man, he couldn't even, he put like a fork to his mouth and somebody would cast him on his shoulder and ask for his autograph. Oh my God. And I I remember was the first time I thought, oh, if I ever hear anybody lecture about somebody saying this, <laughs> I'm going to say, you know, you have no idea what their world is or what their, because like, you know, I just thought like, she was very, he had a lot of grace and, and graciousness towards that, but it must have been so irritating to not be able to eat without somebody passed me on the shoulder every five minutes. Um, so I learned, to, yeah, I, I remember to be very struck by that. But for me, he was, he did be like um, a very kind, caring uncle, big brother, mm-hmm. or uncle figure. Like he was very, I, I felt he was very respectful to me and I felt very, um, yeah, honored to meet him. One of the icons, one of the sci-fi icons.
1: Oh yeah, indeed. Were you worried when you started doing sci-fi, when you started doing television? Was part of that worry about being, pigeonholed as one thing and and not the other and not that versatility and that that uh, theater and, and film that you wanted to do were you worried about that
2: I think I was at the time I mean it was a very different time right like when yeah. I was coming out of, of theater school television wasn't that exciting you know sci-fi was probably the most interesting thing happening on television but on the whole it was pretty you know generic and pretty sort of you know cookie cutter and and yeah, proper actor did theater did film. Like they a proper actor didn't do television. Well now every actor in the world is destined to do television. It's some of the smallest writing out there. You have these time frames that allow you to really get into detail with character and, and um and for so now it's one of the most exciting mediums out there. But at the time it wasn't, and there was that sort of um, fear that came along with it, it was I don't wanna be typecast as a T V actor, I don't want to be typecast as a actor, to the sci fi actor, I I think now the audience and the industry has grown up and is mm-hmm. smarter around all that now, and there's no such thing. And you know, and also as an older actor, if you've anything, meaning you get to work a lot, you recognize
1: it's just a grateful thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it becomes That's your a brand. It. it becomes yeah, the brand. That so much. <laughs> yeah. Now, when Stargate was happening, would you go and do the conventions? And, and I know you do some of them now. You've done some. What's uh, what's it like to actually meet those sci-fi fans?
2: Oh, that's been another learning curve for me. Um, the very first convention I did was San Diego Comic Con. Yeah. Um, note to any future convention goers: don't make that your first con. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's kind of terrifying. Um, so I was I was amazed. I was a little bit. Um, you know, as I said, I've got a bit of social anxiety. I mean, I'm an actor because I love celebrating the human spirit and understanding and exploring our humanity,
3: mm-hmm. but I'm
2: awkward in my own flesh. You know, it's more comfortable yeah. to be to put on a mask and, and express our universal humanity through a mask than just doing it myself. So the conventions at first were very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't know where to draw the line between where to be, who I really was, and, and how to protect myself, you know. Yeah. But now, I just feel, I feel in awe of them. I mean, you know, there's there's been a few times in my life, I've been very lucky, I've always made a living as an actor, but there's been a few times that I've been a few years without a job, and, and wondering during those years, where, what is my next, what am I going to do? And during that time, this has happened to me, that I'm terrified about paying my rent, I don't know my next job. And yet I'm being flown across the, the planet to meet people that are going to line up and tell me that they appreciated the work that I've done in the past. And more, more so than the paycheck that I was needing to pay my rent from that convention was the inspiration and the support I was getting from these people who were reminding me, you are an actor, you have value, you have... like." So that, that got me through some very dark days. And it also made me realize that why I love theater is the connection to an audience. And mm-hmm. so what a convention gives you is that connection to your audience. So, um, yeah, I got, I got full on. Um, and, you know, there's a few crazy freaks, and most of them are fabulous and exciting and fun. And I've only had one or two uncomfortable experiences in my 20 years of
3: wow.
2: sci-fi. So that's
1: pretty awesome.
2: I think on the whole, it's it's a really beautiful
1: community, that the is. convention community. Yeah. I had my first experience at a convention as a journalist last year and got cool. to interview all uh, all the Star Trek people that were there. Got at like Anson Mount, not a visitor, not the name drop, but it was just I'm a country music fan. And what I'm finding, oh. you might agree with this. This uh, this will make sense in a minute here. What I'm finding is that sci-fi stars like yourself are kind of the country music artists of of the film and TV world because they're so down-to-earth, so interested in what their fans have to say and their fans' connected uh, connection with the oh. work. You don't see that in, in other genres of television and film, in my experience. It's just amazing oh, to see.
3: You
1: know, what? I
2: wonder if there's an element of that because there's a humility, and I think because there's a long time sci-fi wasn't taken seriously, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was sort of, you were sort of embarrassed to do it, and same with country music. It sort of wasn't, taken it seriously is what was happening. And so maybe because of that, there's a humility that comes with people going, I'm doing this thing and I'm not doing it for any societal kudos. because I'm Mm -hmm. not getting societal kudos. I'm doing it because of personal um, satisfaction or necessity or need or just for joy. And maybe that's what um, is is this. Yeah. Similar connection, but I've never heard that before. I I like that insight. It's It's interesting.
1: So, What I've always wanted to ask you, if I could ever sit down with you and talk to you, and here we are, is is the connection that you had with Dr. Weir. How do you as an actor, when, when the circumstances around you are so fanciful and so heightened, how do you connect and make it real? Because your performance is just so real and so grounded. How did you do that work as an actor? How did you find her amidst all of that fiction and fantasy? And make it real.
2: Oh. just kind of words. Thank you. Um, most of that I mean, the writing, you know, that they wrote mm-hmm. a great character. Those guys wrote a really strong they I mean, I, I'm still pretty tight with, with Joseph Marty, but all those guys, Carl to every every most of weird strong episodes were written by Carl. He loved writing poor men and and wrote them very well. Um you know, I always say like Shakespeare is easy to do even a bad bad script. Like Mm-hmm. If, if and 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 you know, so how does somebody play King Lear? How does somebody play Macbeth? How do, if you haven't killed your father? How do you play somebody who kills their father? I mean, there's so I think if it's in the writing, it's a very easy place to get there. Um, and and for me, what I connected with Lear is just, I mean, I really connected with and I got in with her, with her, um, through her belief and compassion of humanity. Mm. And and that, you know, I think if you have that, that grounds you no matter where you are. You're gonna find a purpose and a place no matter where you are if you help that. And I think she that's where she and I were very close. I don't have anything close to her intelligence or her discipline <laughs> or her focus. Yeah. But I'm aligned with her on that. And I think that's that was my end with her.
1: It's wonderful. And it's interesting you say compassion because I could imagine as the ER nurse on Transplant, which is coming to the U.S., and I can't wait to see it. I could imagine Yay. there's a connection there. Talk about Transplant. I don't know too much about it. I actually just found out about it today, looking up what you've been up to for this interview. Talk about Transplant. Talk about that show and uh, your involvement there. Um, Yeah, Transplant just started.
2: I mean, it's a lovely company in Montreal. It's a mm-hmm. Canadian company. Um, and they're, they're first based in Quebec. And I did a show with them three years ago that I was very proud of called This Life. And um, we only did two seasons, unfortunately, but it was one of the most, um, one of the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Satisfying, nurturing, and terrifying characters I've ever played. It was a single mother who was diagnosed with cancer. And the series, you find out the first episode, the series is her preparing her kids and preparing herself to die but without it being, you know, dramatic because she's got to raise her kids. And so, so the concept of it was lovely. And I, I was so proud to be part of that. Well, these same producers and writers, um, it was a hard show to sell though, because it was about cancer and a lot of people wanted to watch it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they started a new show and, and, and the main actor in the show, Hamza Hacks, is just delightful to watch. He's got so much, um, so many layers in him, so much richness in him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he had a small character in this life, and they just fell in love with him, and they worked with him, and then they created this, well, uh, it's a hospital show. What I love about it, it's very much reflects, uh, especially Canadian culture, of the multicultural nature, the tapestry that is our culture nowadays. Mm-hmm. I've always been very stuck in taxis in Canada and in, in New York City. Nine out of ten times the cab driver was a doctor in Africa, or in, you know, I mean, and they come here and all of their learning means nothing. So the idea of trans, being transplanted to another place, to having to reinvent yourself—it's it, playing with all those political and emotional layers that I think are just just lovely. And yeah, super excited! It got picked up by NBC, and hopefully we'll get another season in. And hopefully, hopefully, it'll be in five years.
1: Well, hopefully, they will uh, co-produce it with the uh, with the Canadian company, and you'll have a cross-border hit because you deserve it. I mean you really do and it's not sci-fi which is you know that shows your versatility and that's the thing about I always worried about interviewing sci-fi stars is I always say I like to know about the person because they're not just one thing you're not just Dr. Weir as you said at the beginning you are an actor and uh, getting pigeonholed can be good but it's it's also important to branch out so is it is it kind of freeing to to not be in a sci fi realm right now with transplant? Oh, no, it's funny. I
2: feel I haven't done sci fi for a very long time. Right. For me, Stargate, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the last sci fi I did was that really not very good. I <laughs> think it was fun <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> Very It's <fun. laughs> so not good. But that's the closest to sci fi I've done recently. Right. Um, so I feel like I've been away for sci fi so mm-hmm. long. But I, I, I laugh at when I first left Stargate I was saying to my agent I think I need to do not sci-fi right now just because so people don't patron on me yeah.
1: but now I'm at a
2: place going I want to do so much sci-fi I want to be keep a part I want to you know be a relevant part of that community not just um yeah the person that showed 20 years ago because I do find it a very vibrant and especially now it's one of the only genres that we can discuss politics without getting in fixed cups Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's a very important thing to be able to do. So, yeah, so I, I don't feel like this is taking me away from sci-fi. I feel like I've been away from sci-fi for a while. I'd help mm-hmm. happy to, yeah, get my toes back in there.
1: Now, this question is tongue in cheek, and it's a joke, but I knew I had to ask it. What the heck was McKay's problem the whole series? Because as an actor, I love it. I hope I get to talk to David. I know Ryan has a relationship with David. We're working on it. But like, I'm curious, as a cast, what the conversation was about that chip on McKay's sh- sh- shoulder all the time, despite all the successes he'd had. He just could not get out of his own way.
2: <laughs> all very funny. Yes. David. Hewlett and McKay. Yes. <laughs> they have a lot aligned and a lot not aligned. <laughs> but, um, but there is, but there is definitely, which, which is, you know, I mean, David Hewlett works really fucking hard as an actor. Oh like, yeah. Like he works really hard. Like to get that amount of like the check babble he had to do. <laughs> yeah. And we would all be sitting there and then, you know, then somebody else would mess up a line and he would get so angry because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he got his stuff, which is fair enough, um, but I, I recognize, oh, and that uh, he was playing with that obsession, and that that um, he brought that into his McKay character. And I think there's a lot of people that I was actually talking about with somebody else about this the other day. A lot of geniuses are jerks, yeah, right? Like you kind of you kind of have to be, I think, to be so um, kind of focused on something, to be that good at it, you have to cut other things out. So what I think McKay cut out was, you know, social moray <laughs> <laughs> he, he forgot how to do that because all of his energy went into his brain or he wanted to understand you know how an it, it blows up yeah you know we we're talking about, about an artist the other day going it, it's, a, it's a shameful i don't agree that we should forgive artists bad behavior yeah but i do understand there's a lot of very powerful people be that in the art world and in You know, if you are at the top of your game, you probably sacrifice some other people on the way up there. Mm -hmm. I think that's McKay's issue. Uh,
1: (laughs) The reason I wanted your insight on this is because I think your character showed him the most compassion out of anybody on that base. (laughs) You know, you, 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 you locked in with him. So and it's just good insight into the cast. So my last question for you is advice for anybody who wants to be an actor in or outside the sci-fi genre, what would you say to them?
2: Oh, blessed. I would say to them, do it. If -hmm. you want to do it, if you need to do it, do it. Run, 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 don't walk. But don't do it because you want people to clap for you at the end of the finish line. And don't do it because you want to be a millionaire. If you want to make a lot of money, get into finance or become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You know, Do it because you want to tell stories and you want to connect with humanity. Because, I mean, the day I decided to be an actor, I wept because I thought, oh, my life is going to be really hard. I'm choosing an
1: unknown over a known. But was it a choice? Was it a choice? Well,
2: I mean, it kind of was. I mean, I I was struggling with, well, maybe, you know, I should go. It's very funny. One of my oldest friends, she wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a lawyer. She's now a lawyer. I'm now an actor. So, (laughs) you know. And we sort of laugh, well, they're kind of similar, That she has more security than I do. But I have more freedom than she does. So we're always sort of talking about what that means, and what choices mean, and, and where they take you. But I do find it interesting. I'm a, I feel lucky that I studied in London because there, there's a lot of actors. It's not about money. People don't ever think they're going to be famous when they choose to be an actor. In Britain, they don't. Mm-hmm. In California, they do. I don't think we do as much in Canada and I don't think we do as much in New York because people are more coming from theater, but um, yeah, if you're doing it because you, you're compelled to then do it with joy and be happy and, yet. Yeah, never
1: have expectations, though. That's what fucks them up. <laughs> Sorry. No, please. It's a podcast. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> Tori, this was a pleasure. I could tell you still do it with joy. Everybody, when Transplant comes to the United States, please make sure to watch it. Uh, it sounds like a brilliant premise. I know I'm going to try to find it on like an app on the Fire TV and watch it. Tori, this was a pleasure. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. It
2: was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a lovely afternoon.
1: Thank you, Tori. It was a delight talking with you. I hope you're listening, and I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Thank you so much. My next guest is one of the two creators of Stargate Atlantis. Robert C. Cooper co-created Atlantis along with SG-1 co-creator Brad Wright. Cooper also co-created the third series in the franchise, Stargate Universe. Universe, in particular, was not as well-received by fans of the other two series. Still, Cooper is particularly proud of Universe, and you'll hear why. In addition to Stargate, we talk about what Robert has been up to since the pandemic. Plus, he goes into great detail. I loved hearing about this, about what he's been doing to help nurture young television and film writers. Here now to tell us what makes a good story, our interview with Robert C. Cooper. Robert Cooper, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you, sir? I'm good.
0: Well, I'm good.
1: What are you doing to stay sane uh, during this uh, continental international quarantine? Is it is it as bad up in Canada as it is here in the States right now?
0: Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, for, I, I don't know... I, I'm not living down there. So, so all I get is the news and, Mm -hmm. and, and certainly that portrays it like, uh, uh, you know, really bad. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Canadians up here are really trying to do their part. There's certainly been some quarantine fatigue you're seeing, you're seeing leak out as Mm -hmm. people go to parks and the weather gets better and, you know, they want to see their family and friends and, and, uh, you know i think as the numbers go down people start to gain a little bit of confidence uh going out and and i'm not sure they realize that uh you know unless unless the numbers are are zero um the danger's still there so yeah so yeah. i mean i think it's been better up here certainly uh the 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 leadership has been strong and mm-hmm. um uh and and the medical uh you know, people are being listened to, which is nice. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, but you know, look, it's, it's uh, the bad situation.
1: I completely agree. Have you been able to do anything creatively? Have you been writing? Have you been working on any projects that are looking into the future once we're past this?
0: Well, I was. Um, uh, I, I, it's a bit of a long story. It's a long answer. How much sure, time you got? Please. Uh, I, I, one of the things I'm doing uh, or have been doing in the last little while, uh, I'm on the board uh, of directors of a something called the Pacific Screenwriting Program, hmm. which is a postgraduate screenwriting, educational, uh, and and really kind of cultural institution. We're trying to foster a community of writers in BC, yeah. um, and uh, we you know, our, our our title sponsor is Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. We're being uh, financed in part by the BC government, uh, the CMPA, which is the Canadian Media Producers Association. And uh, we put on speaker programs. We uh, we sponsor events uh, throughout the year, but our flagship program. Uh, it's called the Scripted Series Lab, where we have um, BC resident writers who are uh, postgraduate, so you know, not in film school, mm-hmm. um, but but maybe don't have quite the experience they they really need uh, on the resume to to get their first job in a in a writer's room. Uh, and we uh, we take uh, open applications, people. Uh, apply we've had uh, like this past year we had over 80 applicants and um, we choose uh, six residents they come and become a part of a full-time writer's room for uh, 10 weeks and then they have another five weeks in which they work with a mentor uh, on a pilot uh, script of their own so they get an opportunity to work with a seasoned showrunner um, and this past uh session which started in january that i was yours truly uh i i essentially volunteer my time um uh to i i bring in a project so in this case i, I had written a a pilot script for mm-hmm. for a project that i then bring into the room and and, and it's as though uh, a network had ordered it and we we essentially develop a season of television and they get opportunities to write, uh, episodes of that, of that series and, and, and work with me as though we were working in a, in a professional writing setting. And then, and then the benefit for me, uh, as a, as a showrunner is I actually get to own everything that's developed in that room and take it out and, and try and sell it. So that, that's kind of my long story. Um, Uh, in terms of, I am now in the stage of, of, of taking that project out and, and, and trying to sell it now, you know, that, that is, um, proven to be, uh, somewhat difficult under the circumstances, uh, you know, pitching, pitching on, uh, on zoom is not the same as pitching in the room. You know, some people say certain, certain businesses are like a handshake business, you know? Yeah. Uh, my experience experiences film and television is, is really a, a hug business. Mm-hmm. You, you really need to be in the room. People want to see you and, and, and kind of feel your enthusiasm and emotion and, uh, you know, passion for a project. And it's really hard to project that, uh, through, you know, through a screen and, um, you know, it, it's it, it's also been uh, difficult. Just in terms of the the industry has is been focusing a lot of their time. I've been spending a lot of my time with committees, um, uh, trying to figure out just how to kind of get back to any kind of semblance of of, of normal. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out guidelines for how production could resume. How, you know how do we handle the uh, insurance issues you know it's um you know it's it's a it very sort of all consuming um and uh and and uh, uh it's just a big important issue obviously is yeah. how do we safely get back to uh, doing business and, and and film and television is such a unique Uh, business uh how it operates the way personnel on sets interact how how many people are essential uh you know if your lead actor gets starts to not feel well in the morning do they come to work and what happens if they don't come to work how do you how do you keep going throughout your day i mean all all these things are are you know um they're going to be issues until we until we come through the other side of this with either a vaccine or some other solution.
1: What are some of the things you're brainstorming? Um, You know,
0: I, the, the project that I developed in the program uh, with a incredibly, um, wonderfully exciting, diverse group of of writers who uh, had a great time with um, that was a YA Kind of a post-YA project. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I, you know, the last thing I did was quite heavy. Um, There's a project called Unspeakable. It was a very personal sort of passion project uh, about the Canadian Tainted Blood Scandal. Yeah, uh, it's something that I lived through. It's a a prior pandemic mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, the situation was not handled very well by by those in 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 charge um that was something that was uh quite difficult for many reasons um to get made and 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 really just to to get through uh it was also very rewarding I don't I don't regret it or mean just sort of complain about it it was a incredible um opportunity but I was looking for something a little bit lighter to do next Mm -hmm. um but at the same time something that i would uh or could care about or or feel as passionate about because that's now the benchmark for me of uh you know how much i really passionately um invested in in something i was working on so you know i i just i i sort of i wanted to find something that i that i really um you know, had that same feeling about. And, and I, uh, you know, I started sort of spending a lot of time listening to my kids and what they were going through. And, and uh, so my, my two oldest um, children are, are attending university now. So uh-huh. a lot of what they started to sort of say to me and talk about uh, with them, with, you know, with some of their friends, uh, it, you know, ended up getting translated into the show. The show has a, uh, slightly magical realism, um, angle to it, but it's about a girl in her, in her first year, uh, university, um, dealing with all the sort of issues that, uh, that kids deal with today. So, um, I you know, I just, I, they say, right, what, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of what I did.
1: Yeah. You know, I wanna I wanna backtrack a little bit for you, uh, with you. Obviously, everybody knows Stargate, but I wanna go way back to the beginning. Why sci-fi? Um.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, sci-fi wasn't a. Um, it wasn't a choice mm-hmm. that I said, "Oh, I have to be a part of science fiction because." that's the thing I love. I loved all types of genres. Um, I just frankly loved good movies. I loved great television. Um, although, you know, one of my favorite shows growing up was a $6 million man. So obviously I had a, uh, an affinity for uh, stories that had, uh, you know, slightly elevated uh, concepts behind them. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wrote all kinds of stuff coming out of film school, and it just so happened that the first real sort of job—well, actually, the first television writing job I got was was a, a kids show hmm. um, that had no sort of sci-fi um, elements to it. Uh, and but the second sh- the second show I got, and the first real staff job I got was a was a science fiction show, and then that sort of led to another science fiction show, uh, which you may have heard of, um, called Stargate. And and then, you know, no one really honestly gets into this business,
3: Mm
0: -hmm. A, thinking they're ever going to do a show that lasts, a franchise that lasts 14 seasons, um, or, or, you know, 17 seasons and 14 years of production. So I, you know, again, I don't mean to... Sound like in any way I'm complaining? That's a mm-hmm. that's a gift um, that I'm I'm incredibly grateful for. But it wasn't part of the plan necessarily to do that one show for that long. Um, my favorite shows that I watch are on TV are frankly dramas, mm-hmm. and you know I I wrote a number of um, drama pilots when I was done with Stargate. I ended up doing another show uh, that was quite um, quite unusual, a wacky show called Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Mm-hmm. I guess you could say it had sci-fi elements. It certainly, you know, it was definitely not uh, like anything else, you know, based on the Douglas Adams property. Uh, I wouldn't call it hardcore sci-fi, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just feel like... Though looking back, you know, on the sci fi stuff of it all, uh, it's really, you know, it's an opportunity to tell stories and 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 kind of almost less restriction, you know, when it, when you're when you're not fully kind of um, you know, tied to the grounded world, mm-hmm. you you can kind of uh, use your imagination and then also get away with certain things from a storytelling point of view that you might not be able to, if you were doing something, you know, entirely realistic or set in our world. So um, it was incredibly rewarding. You know, like I, I would say, if I want, if I want to do, you know, uh, uh, a, a rom-com this week, we could do that. You know, mm-hmm. we could, we could do something that was in an alternate reality that sort of changed things up Um the, the, you know, there was really no, there were really no rules. And so mm-hmm. that was very, that was, you know, we, I worked with a guy named Brad Wright and he always yep. used to say, um, you know, it, it's not one, you know, science fiction is not one genre. It's actually all of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Stargate itself was a political drama, a military drama, Wrapped in science fiction, how did you guys keep it so grounded? You talk about being able to tell those stories that you couldn't get away with, but you got away with it so much that people started conspiracies that Stargate was uh, was uh, a cover for the Air Force, and that's why you guys did the Wormhole Extreme episode. I'm a big fan, if you can't yeah. tell. Yeah. So, well, you know, how'd you the, keep it grounded? The,
0: the uh, well, I mean, look, it always had that at its core. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it was based on one of the things I think made it so successful is that it wasn't about an antiseptic future 500 years from now. Mm-hmm. It was about us. It was about us struggling with advanced technology that we didn't understand. And I think it allowed people to identify with those characters and say, look, here's, here's you and me getting to go out into the, into the galaxy and, and, and fight these, you know, bad guys. So uh, it, it, and figure things out. Like, I think there's a, there's a sense of adventure. You know, if you, if you had that sort of desire to want to um, do something more or better or different with your life, um, the show kind of fed that, uh, that mindset. So, and, and yet, you know, and yet at the end of the day, I think what people loved and what they came back for was the interaction of the, of the lead characters. I mean, we never forgot that. We never sort of lost track of the fact that, you know, these were essentially earthbound human beings, well, mm-hmm. with the exception of, of Teal'c. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even him, I mean, we we certainly I think humanized him in in in, in many ways. Oh, yes. um, uh, you know, it was it was a it was They were a family, and they were a family that kind of always came home and lived on Earth, which which made it so much more uh, relatable.
1: Yeah. I want to ask, now this may have been answered before at a Comic-Con, and it's probably in the Stargate wiki somewhere, and I haven't found it, but I've never heard of a franchise show where um, the, the original producer of the movie that it is born from isn't really involved. And if I remember correctly from all the opening credits – Dean Devlin, who did the movie, was not involved in SG-1 or the franchise. How did you guys, how did the production company secure the rights to be able to take this property, forgive the pun, but to the stars and take a movie and just make a 14-year franchise out of it without him necessarily needing or wanting to be involved?
0: Well, I can't speak to why, Mm -hmm. you know... Dean Devlin or Roland Emmer didn't get involved. I can only sort of, and, and frankly, you know, the show, the original series was created by two guys named Jonathan Glasner And I mentioned before, Brad Brad. Wright, um, they were brought in by MGM Mm -hmm. who owned the rights. Um, there was, I guess, some language in the contract for the feature, which allowed them to kind of buy out the TV rights and pay off, pay off, uh, um, Dean and Roland, but, um, you know, honestly, it was a a slightly different time too. Like Mm -hmm. it's only been, I would say the last 10 years or so that the line between movies and television has really become almost, you know, non-existent before it was blurred and now it just doesn't exist. And, and you have folks going back and forth, um, without you know any sort of ghettoization of television you know it, right. it's like but but there was a a while ago feature guys looked down on tv they didn't want anything to do with it it wasn't interesting yeah. to them and so i think you know uh, devlin and Emmerich were um uh you know they were in the middle of a, a sky-high feature career. I don't think they were really all that concerned or interested in TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think they, from what I understand and from what I've read, they, you know, had ideas about uh, continuing the Stargate franchise in features, but MGM really wanted to explore the, uh, you know, the franchises as, as a television series, and, and mm-hmm. they had had already some very... Uh, good success with Brad and Jonathan who are doing The Outer Limits uh, with Showtime so th- those are the sort of those conversations all kind of happened and they ended up um, um, you know being asked to write the pilot and uh, you know I think it was just at that time the idea is you know we want seasoned television guys to 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 captain a um, a television show.
1: Yeah. I love that. Let's talk about the show you co-created with Brad, Atlantis, Stargate Atlantis. Yes. Love it. The set was gorgeous. What you guys did was very organic from the original SG1. How did the idea come to you? What was the conversation that that was going to be the first spin-off?
0: Well, I mean, we always felt like you know, one of the as the show went on and on, I think Brad and I always, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. I won't come as a surprise to people that we felt like we had told a lot of the stories we could tell, um, you know, in the Milky way galaxy. And, and, uh, there was a point at which we could only defeat the Ghoul so many times, uh, before they kind of lose their edge Mm -hmm. and, and the threat is no longer there. Um, so we felt like we had to sort of wipe the slate clean and start over, which is sort of where the idea came from to really go to a different galaxy, separate ourselves from Earth, and and start fresh. Um, you know, originally I think the idea was going to be to keep the doorway open um, a little more, but we had a meeting with. Uh, the head of uh, Sci-Fi and USA who was coming to hear us pitch the idea for Atlantis we had actually written originally written a movie uh, mm. that was supposed to end SG-1 and be the launching pad for Atlantis and uh, she heard the pitch and said uh, no 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 we don't want you just end SG-1 we want both shows at the same time and we were like oh okay that's going to require some rethinking so so we ended up shifting gears a little bit and having because we didn't really want um, too much crossover like we wanted each, each group of heroes to have their own domain it's something I'm always I look at the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe and it's kind of uh, let's say, amusing that there are all these superheroes kind of existing at the same time on the same planet and yet they don't seem to interact except when they're in movies together. Uh, when they're in their own movie, you kind of ignore the fact that those other people are, are out there. So we really wanted to separate the two and give them each their own platform uh, to work on. And, and so we reinvented, SG1 uh, a little bit with the uh, with the with the Ori and it brought some new villains and some new characters in to kind of you know make that show a little more fresh and mm-hmm. we we uh, went ahead with Atlantis uh, which then moved you know uh, focused on the Pegasus galaxy and the Wraith and and again you know it's that old writing rule where your good guys are only as good as your bad guys are bad so you know we spent a lot of time focusing on who are the bad guys going to be here in 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 pegasus and how can they be different from from the ones we've we've already explored mm-hmm. um you know for for seven seasons of television on sg1 yeah
1: and you guys did it beautifully i know you came up with the storyline for the ancients and again creator on atlantis what would you say is your pr- uh, proudest moment with the franchise? The thing you look at and go, "That is my mark in the fourteen years."
0: Um, I mean, I don't know. I I, I think I look at. I don't boil it down to any one particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm 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 actually very proud of uh, uh, of SGU Stargate Universe. Mm. Um, I think it was a, uh, um uh, maybe maybe slightly underappreciated part of the franchise by fans. I know yeah. it's very different and, and certainly a lot of fans uh, felt like we went too far afield from the things that they loved. Um, certainly I, I know seeing the characters kind of in conflict with each other was problematic for people, but um, you know, I, I, I actually just, uh, rewatched uh, the series with my with my family, who had actually never seen it. I know that may sound strange to you, <laughs> uh, wow. but but uh, but yeah, they had never actually watched uh, the, the show, and and they quite liked it. And and um and I think that, you know, and they're not like sort of big sci-fi uh, fans, and so mm-hmm. I think that show kind of spoke to more to the people who, who might watch, want to watch a drama show that happens to be set in, in space as opposed to a, a sort of more uh, fun, uh, you know, de- hardcore sci-fi show the way, the way SG-1 won. Um, but, I mean, I, I really honestly look back at the whole franchise, in, and for me, the experience of making it and the people who I got to become friends with and I uh, still work with to this day. Um, it was and, and and I meet I meet people like you know, if you look at the IMDb cast list for SG1 and who was in it, it goes on forever. Yeah. And and I you know, I I go to auditions now and and meet uh, actors who say, you know, you you gave me my first job. I just want to thank you for getting my career started. I mean, that sort of thing is kind of what I'm most proud of. We we had assistants who started, you know, working for us in the office who are now showrunners and built a, um, more than just a television franchise, but, you know, we helped build a part of the the industry in Canada that we can now be proud of, um, who are, you know, making all kinds of high-level quality programming. Um that was that was to be having been part of that was, uh, you know, was something I wouldn't, you know, trade away for anything.
1: I love that. I have to ask. And I do have two more questions for you. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked uh, Tori the other day. But I'm curious your perspective, obviously, as the writer and creator. But what was McKay's problem? <laughs> I mean, the chip on his shoulder. Excellent characterization. But writing into that, how did you approach that? Because that, his character is just so genius.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, let's see. How do I do this uh, diplomatically? I I mean, I, it's going to sound like I'm bragging, uh, right. which I'm, I don't mean to, or, and I'm not. It's, it's only the negative parts of his personality are somewhat based on me, uh, not the br- brilliant part. Uh, I've often said, you know, I don't particularly like doing uh, stories about geniuses because you really do have to be a genius to write them. And I'm Mm -hmm. not. Um, But uh, there is a a scene in. I believe it's one of the early episodes of his character. It was actually an SG one episode, not uh, not an Atlantis episode where. Um, uh, Carter is pitching something uh, to him a, a scientific solution for something and he kind of looks at her and says I, I didn't hear anything you said but while you were talking I did think of this uh, and you know that was something I actually once said uh, <laughs> to someone else uh, in the writer's room and I, I mean look I, I, I would say I, I'm, I hope nobody thinks I'm nearly as obnoxious as, as McKay um, but I certainly identified with and in, in a way that I know, like I've heard, you know, uh, Larry David talks about his character on curb your enthusiasm and and people are like, you know, are you, is that you? And he would say,'m uh, I'm, I'm not a sociopath,
3: <laughs> but
0: but I do, but I do think those things sometimes and and it's nice to have a character who uh, is willing to say them you know so that's kind of how that character came about is is i would i would be like he's he's saying the things i wish i could say sometimes to people (laughs) um and and certainly his frustration at times with you know the world not moving fast enough for him um you know is 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 kind of how we often always felt you know in the midst of production you deal with all kinds of frustrations. Uh, I'm sure, you know, similar in, in most people's jobs and you just, you certainly, I, I think I've developed a much more, uh, Zen quality to my approach, uh, in my, in my, uh, latter years. Um, but at the time, I mean, it was a great way to express uh, you do that all the time in your, in your writing. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you you, take things, and you channel them into the page uh you know when when things frustrate you in reality so he was a he was a great way to kind of get that out and it turned out to be you know a very entertaining and and i think much loved character and, and, you know so so beautifully uh executed by david hewlett mm-hmm. i couldn't it's so much so that it's one of those parts where you can't imagine someone else playing it. You know, I can't yeah. think of anyone else who could do that uh, now. It's so indelibly uh, him. Um, and there were there were a bunch of other, like, little little uh, quirks. There was a writer working on the show back when we were first inventing McKay, and he was um, allergic to lemon. So, I mean, there's a there's a running gag where, where McKay is allergic yep. to lemon, that, that came from that, that character, uh, that writer on the show. So it's always just pulling from pulling from the world around you.
1: I love that. I lied. Now I have two more questions because I have one more Stargate question and then one question to close this. But I have to know, with all of the 90s, early 2000s nostalgia going on and how much shows like uh, Star Trek, Stargate, getting this renewed attention, any chance that, some or all of the original cast across uh, the original two or three series reunite for maybe a reboot, revival. Any?
0: Well, I I would say um, look the the I I from the I'm on the outside at this point. You know, okay. like I'm I am not directly involved in in any reboots or mm-hmm. or any conversations about them. I'm. Uh, looking at this almost as much from the perspective that you are. yeah. Uh, certainly I know a number of people who are, uh, you know, working to try and put that together. Um, I just, I can't tell you what, you know,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, what MGM is thinking. Um, I know there have been very admirable fan campaigns to try and get the band back together. Um I mean, I think that from what I've seen, when, when studios do reboots, um, they have a tendency to want to reinvent, you know, Mm -hmm. they want a tendency to have a tendency to want to do something new with new people, um, that, you know, honors the old, but, you know, but brings it back. I mean, it is, you know, with they didn't ask Richard Dean Anderson to do the new MacGyver. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. so I don't, I don't know. I don't know how they would essentially, you know, make another Stargate with all the same cast, but, um, I guess what I would hope, uh, is that they would, um, honor the show that, that so many people loved. I mean, mm-hmm. it would, it would be, uh, I think it would be a a great mistake to just ignore it and, and, and not sort of, uh, appreciate the canon that, that, uh, was created.
1: I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And speaking of creating my last question for you, what is your advice to aspiring writers for television and film?
0: Um, uh, I, 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 gee, I don't know. Uh, that's a hard, I get it all the time. I work with, you know, mm-hmm. as I, I sort of said, I've been working with young writers. My, uh, my honest uh, advice is, um, you know, write something you care about, uh, write something you know about. Um, that's not to say you're not going to ultimately use that to get a job at some point to work on someone else's thing that has nothing to do with you. But at least you're going to show a passion and knowledge. You're not pretending or you're not faking something. Um, you, are, you are being true to what you want to express and that you, frankly, have something to say.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if you don't want to, if you don't have something to say and you just want a cool job and be able to say, I wrote for television, you're probably not right for this like you you know it's like people want uh they want a unique voice um they don't want someone who who just mimics other things um and and honestly you know it's a tough business i i I really kind of advise people I, i don't say don't do it don't try it but make sure you're also kind of pursuing something else and, yeah. and, and good at something else too you know like uh it's really it's hard and 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 i guess the you know the overnight success is is a is a kind of myth you mm-hmm. know it happens i'm not saying it doesn't ever happen but it, it really it, it doesn't happen a lot and and what it really comes down to is a lot of hard work And an incredible amount of persistence in the face of rejection so that you are, you know, they always say right place at the right time. Well, that means kind of standing there for a very long time so that when when it is the right time, you're there. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, I I, and the other thing is, you know, and I say this to, to young writers all the time, you are not your script. A script is, is, is part of what you do. You, if you are a writer, you write all the time. So yeah. so don't write one script, put it in your back pocket and try and sell it and say, I'm a writer. I mean, that's not what a writer does. I wrote script after script after script as a young writer, you know, I, I and I, I didn't sell any of them. They were trash. But but that process is what um you know, is what hone allows you to hone your craft, it teaches you, but it also kind of is who you are. You know, if if you um if you are born to do this, then you should be doing it all the time.
1: Yeah. Very important. This was brilliant, Rob. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. This was wonderful. Uh,
0: yeah, I had I had a great time. Thank you very much. Um uh, lovely talking to you.
1: Robert, that was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so very much. I really appreciated the time you took and I loved hearing about everything you're doing. My thanks again to both my guests today, Tori Higginson and Robert C. Cooper. It was a pleasure to have you both to talk all things my favorite sci-fi franchise, Stargate. That is it for us today. Remember to subscribe in iTunes, Stickter, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts to Talk for Two. You can also check out the home of our talk show at TalkForTwo. Dot com. That's T A L K F O R T W O dot com. Remember to also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Talk for Two. You can also reach out to me at Talk for Two at gmail.com. T A L K F O R T W O C A S T at gmail.com. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to keep talking for two.
0: You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com.